grey. She alighted from the bus and saw the smoke from a massive garbage hill, writ large on the forehead of the town. She could not help but notice that even the beautiful setting sun had grey ash smeared on its countenance. Shadows of two riot control vehicles and a dozen armed policemen crawled across the tarmac of the road where she stood. She sensed the uncertainty that hung in the humid air of the town. Prashant knew little of life outside the scripts, scrolls and the changing numbers at Dalal Street. He was aware that he could not restrain the resilient investigative journalist he had for a wife, yet he had watched her leave with reluctance. Ravi was waiting for her at the bus stop. He saw her and smiled reluctantly. They had spoken at length over the phone. Under the prevailing circumstances, she appreciated the fact that he had agreed to meet her so soon. She had her questions as soon as they reached Abhilasha. Ravi, tell me more about the garbage hill first. We call it the smoldering hill, Riya madam. It is the chillum this town smokes to stay in a state of intoxication. It's the blanket of haze and grey suit that envelops everything, constantly reminding the town of its presence. Come to think of it, this town owes a lot to the hill. It absorbs everything that the town discards, abandons or shuns and conceals the rest in the ever-expanding slum behind it. The slum is the notorious Timur the Lame's empire, the Samarkand he owns and lords over with pride and tyranny. The slum is a forbidden place on the banks of the Nala, in which the city spits its sewage. It's a fortress impossible to escape. The lean dusky boy stopped speaking and pointed a finger towards the massive heap of garbage that marred the landscape of the quaint town. Rhea looked up from her notepad and smiled at him. But you have made the journey down the hill, Ravi, and stayed, haven't you? Ravi acknowledged this and folded his hands in front of his chest. It is because of Veena Ma. Could always do impossible things, madam. Rhea noticed how his face lit up when he mentioned Veena. He continued, She didn't give up on me. In fact, she never gave up on anyone. When I was a rag picker living there, I used to climb down the smoldering hill at dawn and climb up at dusk every day. As a child, I used to believe that the sun too lived behind that ever-burning heap of garbage near the conversion plant. Rhea wanted to know more. Her book was going to be a tribute to Veena Khatri, the deceased founder of Abelasha. Veena had started the organization a decade ago with the simple vision of giving the less fortunate a level playing field in this world. Equal opportunity for all upsets certain people in higher places. Veena Khatri would often hint. She knew she was not winning a popularity contest. She would calmly go back to disentangling the blooming wisterias that clasped the wall, helping them on their way 
just like she helped hundreds of street children leave the dark alleys and step into the light of knowledge. Ravi spoke with reverence about his guardian angel. As he turned to look up at the grey smouldering hill again, to him it looked uglier and higher than ever, even more threatening and menacing than it had seemed during his childhood. The thought of crossing the hill and returning to the slum still terrified him. Far in the distance, a dumper added yet another ton of the city's refuse to the hill. However, when viewed from the veranda of Abilasha, it seemed like a different world, far removed from Veena's garden, where hope soared amongst the trees and love blossomed in the sweet fragrance of flowers. Children healed and thrived in the filtered rays of a pristine sun. The garden, with its lily pond at its heart, brimmed with life and bees. Ravi confided in Rhea that he still had trouble sleeping at night. The shadow of his past cast its gloom over all his dreams. He spoke of the time he had lived there, among the living dead his own body forever smeared with the ashen grey of that hill, the stench of the Nala, an intrinsic part of his breath. The steady grey smoke shrouded too much evil for rag-picking children to be exposed to. The narrow labyrinths were embedded with too many shards of broken glass, more than even orphaned feet deserved. Ravi shuddered as he recalled his recurring nightmare, in which he would lose his way inside the snaking lanes of the hill. His childhood belief, which he hesitantly shared with Rhea, was that there were holes, deep gaping holes within the hill that led straight to the raging fires of hell in its belly. He had been terrified that one day he would fall into one such bottomless pit and the smouldering hill would consume him, leaving no trace. His sleep had been held to ransom by this nightmare on countless nights. He told her about the teeming migrants who labored, begged and scavenged the streets, the shady traders who dealt in stolen tires, jewels and electronics, the drug traffickers and thugs who thrived around the hill and returned to the safety of Timur's slum. The city accepted rising pile of trash on the hill, both as a blemish and as a cover-up. It was the wall of convenience that separated the city from its underbelly. Ravi felt a sharp pain in his heart when everyone who lived beyond the hill was labelled a criminal. He described that daily hundreds who descended onto the city's roads, wearing grey misery on their faces, their eyes betraying a sadness that had perhaps travelled lifetimes to inhabit them. Scores of grey-smeared bare feet came to beg with open wounds on skins dried to parchment. They crossed the great wall with tools and implements to dig deeper into the city's soul, hollowing it out of its virtue. They came into scrub its streets clean and to scatter filth, to tempt its citizens with intoxications 
and the devil's best promises. They all descended along with a grey haze that stayed suspended over the city, a constant reminder to the city folk of the alien presence in their midst. It was a mysterious grey that was part fumes, part smoke, but mostly pain. It was a familiar pain that Ravi shared with the 300 residents of Abhilasha and scores of others Veena could not help to heal in just one lifetime. On clear days, he saw the reflection of the smoldering hill sit right at the heart of the lily pond in Abhilasha. This ugly monstrosity had begun to prevent the sun from showing up till much later than noon, and the lilies had to wait till the afternoon to stretch their petal limbs and breathe. Ravi told Rhea about the lily pond. That is where Vinama drew all her strength. She sat by the calm water in a chair and meditated before sunrise, and then went to work with the children. She reached out with inexhaustible compassion, feeding and teaching the children. She was forever up in arms against the city administration for letting children beg on the streets. She could be seen arguing with police officers and the city magistrate, freeing children from the clutches of hunger, drugs, their own desperate parents, police custody and merciless employers. She even liberated us from the crutches of darkness we had inside our souls before we came here to Abhilasha. Ravi took her around the shelter as they spoke. She saw paraplegic boys and girls under a thatched roof, block printing bags and kurtas for a living. She saw others learning to read, write and acquire computer skills. The light in Ravi's eyes revealed the hope Veena was capable of igniting. Ria's resolve strengthened, and her decision to come down to this dusty, crime-infested town to write a book that she wasn't sure she would be able to pen seemed right. The stamping of patterns on fabric suddenly had the sound of music, and her heart was beginning to sing a new song. Ria hesitated before asking Ravi, Does it not anger you that the people who took Veena's life were the ones she worked so selflessly to save? She had to tread carefully. Veena's death was a fresh wound and the city was still hurting. The town was on red alert and threat of a communal riot loomed large. Movement was restricted, people were not allowed to congregate. Heavy troops had been deployed, riot control squads placed, fire brigades and ambulances parked at strategic locations. Policemen armed with tear gas shells and shields formed human walls to keep the crowds in check. The city came to a standstill and the silence was deafening. Perhaps it was only the smoldering hill that breathed, feeding on the city's discards, laughing that it had outlived Veena Ma. Ravi shuddered in awe and repulsion at the grey hill. He paused to take a sip of water and Rhea noticed the man who had quietly come to sit beside them.
He shook her hand and introduced himself as Aryan, Veena Khatri's son. He spoke with a heavy American accent and looked to be in his early thirties. Rhea looked inquiringly at Ravi, who elaborated that he too had been surprised to meet Aryan because he had never imagined that Veena Ma had a life outside Abhilasha. Aryan had thankfully reached just in time to perform the last rites. Aryan told them that he owned a software firm that had grown rapidly despite the recent years of economic meltdown and he had been in a position to help his mother's cause financially and had also helped her obtain sponsorships for Abhilasha. Ravi noticed that Aryan's smile was Veena Ma's legacy and had formed an instant bridge of trust. He felt an overwhelming urge to hug Aryan and cry. He did so, and in that brief moment of shared grief, he realized that both of them had lost their mother to hate, in spite of all the love she had selflessly given to the world. Life felt unfair again, and Ravi sensed a hatred brewing in him. He knew Timur the lame was responsible. The leader of the wolf pack was the mischief monger. He felt an infernal rage inside him. He wanted to run up the smoldering hill to drag the rat out of his hole and bludgeon him with his own crutch, listening to the jingle of the bells around them. Ravi clenched his fist and closed his eyes. He turned and ran from his own rage as fast as he could. He was standing quietly when Aryan found him at the edge of the lily pond. Ravi felt the urge to tell Aryan what he and the police knew. But no one would go scavenging in the slum behind the smoldering hill. No one wanted to crack down on the begging and drug trafficking mafia. The police was well paid and the political heavyweights had investments in the clandestine enterprises behind the hill. He lamented, What can I do when I myself come from the same felt? Ravi looked up at Arun and saw the same calm reflected in his eyes that Veena Ma had always exuded. Arun held his shoulders and told him that he understood. Told him about all the emails she had written regularly to him. He showed him the website of Abhilasha that he managed. The website with poignant pictures of the children at the shelter. Arun quietly whispered in his ears, Ravi, be strong. You have to hold it together. Don't brew hate. That's not what she taught you. Mom always knew what she was up against. Yet she smiled through it all, didn't she? I've lived a decade in the shadow of fear for her life. But now that she's fallen victim to the very thing that has haunted my sleep for years, I'm strangely calm. I'm determined that the work she started must go on. That is what we build on, her dream, and we do not start a hate war. The entire city is living in hate and fear. You are her only hope, her triumph. Aryan spoke passionately, but Ravi was no longer listening. The sound of the bells around Timur the lame's crutch was ringing in his ears again. 
the ghosts of his childhood had never been completely exorcised. He was transported back to the dreaded tent at the foot of the grey hill. In this obscure corner near the edge of the Nala, Tahir Baksh lived and oversaw his operations. Very few knew his actual name. All new members of the migrant community that flocked to the growing town had only one place to register at. When they first arrived, Tahir's canvas palace on the hill. Tahir Baksh had been a budding singer, the son of a thrifty, devout Muslim who worked hard for a living as a shoemaker outside the city's mosque. Tahir's maternal uncle was a security guard with a recording company in Mumbai. He was visiting them when Tahir's mother told Tahir to sing at dinner. The uncle had heard enough aspiring singers. Begging for an entry at the gate of the recording studio to know that the boy held promise. Tahir Baksh will be a famous singer one day. The pain in his voice is a gift from Allah. Mark my words, dear sister, he will do you proud. He said and took Tahir to Mumbai. He wanted to introduce the boy to the owner of the company. The large family with his seven siblings was there at the station to see him off. The uncle arranged a meeting and marched the boy straight into the studio with confidence. The music director loved his voice. Tahir's voice has the earthy scent that I have been searching for. It is so authentic and rich in texture. Uncle and nephew were returning to the shanties, beaming with confidence. His uncle took Tahir to Chaupati and treated him to a feast. The festivities at the beach were in full swing. The bright lights of Mumbai came down from the high-rise buildings to bless a bewildered boy who had begun to dream of a home up there somewhere. Tahir shared all the happiness that seemed to be in abundance, like the constant evening breeze that the Arabian Sea sent. He looked in the direction of the Haji Ali Dargah, closed his eyes and muttered a prayer under his breath. Someone let go a dozen gas balloons into the sky, and Tahir felt it was a sign. Tahir was still lost in his newfound dream as he stepped onto the local train, and that's when he lost his footing and his right foot had to be severed up to the knee. Five days later, his uncle came with some fruit to the hospital and the devastating news from home. A communal riot had consumed everything in its rage. Most members of their community had fled the city, but... But what, Mamujan? He had felt a sharper pain in his chest, a stab of anticipation of the worst that hurts more than the news itself. His family, all of them, the house and his wooden wheel cart had been turned into ash. A week later, he boarded a train to nowhere. He had failed to sing again. He had lost his foot, family and dream in one week. As he hobbled to find a seat, the bells tied to his crutch jingled. They were for his convenience, 
a precursor to his arrival and a request to people to clear the way. Tahir leaned against the window grill and felt wetness around his cheek. He did not remember who thrust the first coin in his pocket or the first beady, the first bottle, the first chillum, the first knife or the first gun. He only remembered disembarking at the station with a heart full of loathing for the city that had turned his family into ash. He felt an impulsive desire to replace the city with a mountain of ash. It took 20 years, but he succeeded. But how did he get the name Timur? Ria inquired with curiosity. No one knows when that happened, but somewhere along the journey, he was rechristened Timur the Lame for his heartlessness and he liked it even more when he discovered the history of the Turkish conqueror. And so began his ruthless conquest of the town, said Ravi. Ria wanted to know it all. He wanted Ravi's story too, but Aryan insisted it was enough for the day. A symphony of bird sounds awoke Ria in the morning. She came to the garden that was brimming with activity in anticipation of the dawn. She found Ravi sitting by the lily pond. She noticed a pile of dry leaves raked into the corner. She stood there and observed him. He lit a match and effortlessly let his hand wander into the pile, shifting and adjusting the crackling leaves. She wanted to call out to him to be careful but realized Ravi had spent years as a rag picker. Good morning. Apparently, the heat does not bother you. And she stood by his side, ready to resume her questioning. Good morning, madam. When you spend a lifetime sifting through the burning garbage for your own survival, the regular scalding of the hands leaves the skin numb. Most of the boys who worked with me feel very little sensation in the hands. I have befriended heat. We have an unsigned pact. He laughed and added, and the color of ash too. The most familiar thing was the miasma of glue that my father forced me to inhale. Intoxication used to be the best distraction from extreme hunger when we first arrived at the slum. Ria felt a familiar choking return to her pen and a lump she now believed was real rose up in her throat again. She pushed it back with all her strength. She urged Ravi to tell more. Ravi, how did you make the journey to Abhilasha? Ravi looked at his watch and did a quick calculation in his mind. He had to get away. He had to be there at the appointed hour, in front of the board where the results would be pinned soon. He could already feel his trembling finger running down the sheet, looking for a numeric match to the roll number that was etched in his mind. A lottery ticket to his future. However, he did not want to let Ria down. He anticipated the reluctance Ria would face when she interviewed people around town in the following days. Rebuke and respect would come in equal measure. 
just like it had been for Veena all her life. He wanted to give her the story Veena deserved. He told her that his family had left their famine hit district a decade ago. I heard the dreaded bells before I saw him. Ravi recalled his first meeting with Timur. He wore earrings, the same yellow as his teeth, had heavy tobacco laced uh, breath, and a sinister grunt came out when he laughed. I can never forget the first touch when Timur seized my arm with his coarse hand. He narrated how his family had got off the train and had been rushed straight to the canvas darbar. We were all given jobs promptly. Father was assigned to work as a handler for Timur's goods that exchanged hands all over town. I was attached with Reshma as a trainee rag picker. Twelve rupees a day until he learns to pick things of value, Timur thundered while Ravi hid behind his mother. Ravi was baptized the same evening when his own father thrust glue in his face. It was never a matter of choice thereafter. Life in the subsequent three years was a haze, all grey and dusty. A constant murkiness veiled his visions. Shards of glass etched new lines across his palms. Blisters like full moons lit up his sunburned skin that had already tanned to take the colour of the night sky. The moor was a dreaded taskmaster. When Ravi left the shanty with his burlap sack and descended the hill in the morning to enter the city, he saw schoolchildren boarding buses. He saw pride in his mother's eyes and tried hard to relate it to his own mother. He rarely saw her. He only met a drunken father who fed him the odd meal and glue. It was when he turned twelve and one of the older boys mocked at him. That suspicion set in. Your mother is the moor's keep, you bastard. That is why he lets you do this sissy rag-picking job. If you have the balls, come with us to pick pockets at the railway station. Ravi had charged at the boy with a broken bottle only to be beaten up. He had returned home that evening with a black eye and swollen cheek. His father had not taken notice. The urge to sneak into the forbidden tent and look for his mother had not let him sleep. He had tossed and turned in bed. The sound of the flapping canvas tent entrance kept enticing and intriguing him. He knew he would never dare and he had cried. He didn't know whether it was for himself or for his mother. It was that very night that he decided to visit the crazy woman who lived at the edge of town. The one who gave clean clothes and food to the begging children. She even uh, let them stay in her house if they agreed to read books. She gave them a glass of milk every day. Reshma had remarked in a hushed tone. Then she giggled and confided that she had been there three times for food. Of course, she did not have the courage to defy Timur or her own parents and leave. Ravi crept up the shelter wall next morning and peeped inside. 
he saw a graceful woman with grey hair falling over her shoulders. Her smile radiated a calmness that he could not comprehend. Yet its warmth touched him. He was tempted but the jingle of Timur's crutch rang in his ears and he retraced his steps. He went several times in the next few days. He saw children studying, laughing, eating, playing and even praying. He was peeping in curiously one day as his burlap sack lay next to him. He heard a woman call from behind. Why don't you come in today? You have been here several times. All it takes is a few more steps. Ravi felt a strange pull in Veena Khatri's compelling voice. He could not decline the offer. In hindsight, he was glad he had taken those few steps. He had become Veena's favourite in a few weeks. He studied hard, he worked harder in the following five years and showed exemplary resolve. She would often ask him about uh, his dream and he would confide in her. I will become an army officer and I will win the bravery award from the president on Republic Day. Vinama would utter Amen. Run her fingers through my hair and walk on the edge of the lily pond, madam. There was some mysterious reservoir there from which she drew her strength and resolve. But standing behind her, all I saw in the quiet water was a trembling image of the grey smouldering hill. Ria wrote on feverishly. Ravi looked at his watch again. There were twenty minutes left. The result would be out and for Veena Ma's sake, he had to leave now. Ria had a few more questions but Ravi had even more to ask of himself. Aryan's words from the previous evening were still ringing in his ears. Ravi, I have a family and I have a business to run. I have to return next week. Will you take over the running of this place? I can hire a couple of professionals to help you and I'll support you from the US. I'll try to come more frequently, but I can't give up my life and settle here. He had pleaded. More than that, something else bothered Ravi, but he could not lay a finger on it. Ria recalled the session from the previous evening. The three of them had sat by the pond, talking well into the night while the stars crowded around the sleeping lilies like fireflies. Finally, Ria had retired to bed, but a girl's hollering from the main dorm of Abelasha had roused her from slumber. She had instinctively rushed to be by the girl's side, calming her down, reassuring her that neither Timur nor her father would come and take her back to the slum. Ravi had stood in the door and smiled. Rhea attributed Ravi's fidgeting this morning to lack of sleep. You look anxious. Is it because you did not sleep well last night or am I keeping you from something important? Actually, he hesitated, I'm nervous about... Because the NDA result will be declared in a few minutes and I have to go and look it up. I hope I've cleared the entrance test. Rhea noticed Ravi twitching his fingers anxiously. She smiled. Go on, 
I understand that this is your dream. I don't want to hold you back. I'll be praying for your success. Rhea saw him drive away on his motorbike. She pulled a chair by the lily pond and opened her laptop to write. It has been five years since that eventful summer. A copy of her acclaimed and successful first book, The Grey Smouldering Hill, is lying by her side while Rhea is writing the final chapter of her second book, Soldier of Hope. Her little girl is playing in the park. Soldier of Hope, final chapter. It was the last time he drove away from the shelter. I never saw him again. Only his picture appeared in the newspaper the next day. He had cleared the examination with flying colors. He told me so excitedly over the phone. He would have made a handsome army officer. Only if that 12-year-old girl at the shelter had not narrated the story of her outrage to Ravi that afternoon. It was so unfair. I'm the writer. She should have told me and things would have been different. Ravi was always the reluctant hero. He wanted to take Veena Ma's efforts to fruition. He so wanted to be an army officer, but... The police found the body of the lame gangster outside a blood-stained canvas tent behind the smouldering hill on the bank of the Nala, where the city empties its gutters. The newspapers read, Notorious king of the city's underbelly, Timur the lame found dead near his own fortress on the bank of the Nala, not the Sirtarya like his namesake in 1405. Rhea debates about writing more, but she cannot muster the courage. She does not know what to write. Ravi had disappeared without a trace after the incident. She does not want to pollute this book with a lie or a false promise. She sighs, wipes tears that come unbidden to her eyes closes her laptop and calls out to her daughter. They make a slow descent down from what used to be the grey hill of garbage. It is now called the Ravi Memorial Park, maintained by Abelasha. Rhea manages Abelasha now, with the help of her supportive husband who has given up the stock market to invest in futures of the destitute. Rhea's first book, has been a turning point in his life. And he too had come to believe in Veena Khatri's vision. Generous overseas donations continue to flow from the founder's son. Not many know why the Abhilasha Trust named it Ravi Memorial Park. Those who do don't like to talk about it. The city breathes easy better without the hell.